The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. When you gotta love it, it's good like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes Welcome to Fighting for Love This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. And she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about bouncing forward, and people think about bouncing back, but bouncing forward and This is a wonderful book that I've been reading called Bouncing Forward, Transforming Bad Breaks into Breakthroughs by Michaela Haas, Ph.D. And there is a a testimonial here that says, Bouncing Forward shows us how adversity can turn us toward our deepest inner resources of trust, wisdom, and love. And that was written by Tara Brack, Ph.D., author of Radical Acceptance and True Refuge. Let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest. Um, She is coming to us from Los Angeles, not too far up the road. And she has a Ph.D. She is a global personal. She has a global personal history with post-traumatic growth. We hear about post-traumatic stress disorder, but we don't always hear about post-traumatic growth, which is really something that is what we want to encourage in people. Michaela's grandfather contracted polio as a child, and then he underwent severe hardship in Nazi Germany and went on to live a life of meaning, spiritual richness, and family fulfillment. He was inspired by this example, Um, the journalist, television host, author, scholar, and 20-year student of Buddhism began to understand that many trauma survivors seem to bounce forward. And she found that in their lives, they seem to grow exponentially through gently connecting cutting-edge PTG or post-traumatic growth research to ancient Buddhist wisdom, Michaela gives the reader a mind-body-spiritual context for growth, grounded in spiritual insight. Well, you know, I am so thrilled that you're joining us, Michaela. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Well, you know, I'm a real believer in this, so I really connected um, with your book because we, I try and help my clients to transform the, the bad things that are happening in their life into breakthroughs. And I myself, back in 1996, went through a, a traumatic experience as a victim of total identity takeover. <laughs> and this is when people didn't even know about it. I And, and um, uh, this woman literally took over my whole life without me knowing it. She was living up in Ventura, north of you, and um, ended up, I had no credit. I Here I am an attorney. No one would believe me, saying, wait a, wait a minute, this has to be you, and bought a car in my name, and she was... Um, taking on clients as an attorney, but she wasn't an attorney. And uh, I ended up writing legislation that made identity theft a crime, testifying in Congress, um, speaking at the White House, and writing books to help other victims. So I, I, I get it when you are going through a trauma yourself and to bounce back, sometimes you have to bounce forward and do things for other people as well, like your grandpa did and like so many other people did. So um, it's it, I believe everything in life happens for a reason, and sometimes you're chosen to go through your bad break to really um, emerge like the phoenix rising out of the ashes, and that's what I tell all my clients as well when they go through things. So I, I really connect well, I'm so glad you're, you're sharing this experience because, you know, that can be traumatic. Identity theft can be traumatic. And the definition of trauma is really changing because in the standard handbook, a lot of people think that trauma has to do with a life-threatening event. And, of course, it often does. But many of us become traumatized from everyday traumas like identity theft or a divorce or a job loss. So it's often these everyday traumas that leave us traumatized. Like one of the people I write about in Bouncing Forward, he has cancer that will probably lead to his death. But he says he can deal with that. He takes that on as a challenge. But the divorce uh, that he went through was the traumatic event in his life. So yes. what you're sharing um, is right up, you know, in in, um, in line with my research that trauma is whatever pulls the rug out from under us. Exactly. A death of a family member, a tremendous, you know, I have a friend who right now is dying of cancer. So that's another one. And like you said, there are so many traumatic experiences, the death of a child, all these things that, you know, t terrorism, which we've seen in in recent times, the terrorism is also something that is traumatic. And, yeah. uh, and of course, we hear about post-traumatic stress disorder for so many people from accidents that they have or the military that you talk about in, in your book as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I interviewed people from all walks of life, from soldiers, uh, from a, a general who was captured in Iraq and who now... Uh, who has initiated the biggest resilience program for U.S. soldiers, to um, a surfer who was paralyzed, to my grandfather who contracted polio. So really, uh, people with diverse backgrounds. But I think it's so important to not only talk about the post-traumatic stress, but also to talk about what we can do to transform these harsh experiences that are beyond our control, how we can use those to learn from them and to share what we learned with others. And so many people know about P 
PTSD or post-traumatic growth disorder, which is, I, I never call it a disorder, actually. I don't like that term because I think it's completely understandable and normal to suffer from stress, from anxiety, yes. from depression, from all the many symptoms of post-traumatic stress. So I don't call it a disorder, but I think it's so important to point out that actually post-traumatic growth is more common than PTSD, and up to 90% of people who do experience a severe setback or a crisis report that um, they've grown in yes. mainly in five areas, so personal strengths, deeper relationships with others, we kind of find out who our true friends are, we gain new perspectives on life, a new appreciation for life, and very often there is a change in our beliefs or our spirituality. And this usually doesn't happen immediately, and the first step to post-traumatic growth is actually taking the trauma seriously and tending to it. But to know that it's not the end of the story and there are things we can do to move through it and to, to grow from it. Right. And you talk about resilience as being um, a major factor in people who do grow from a traumatic experience. So um, what are some things like, you know, we're on the campus of the University of California, but we have a lot of business people driving by. So what's one thing that someone right now could do today? We're in the new year already. What could they do to become more resilient? So one of the things that's become really clear is that we're only as resilient as our support system. Nobody can do it alone. Um, so one thing you can do is to make a good friend and to be a good friend. Because my Angela actually said that, who I also interviewed for the book. She said, nobody ever does it alone. And to expect ourselves to move through a crisis or a traumatic experience all by ourselves is really an error, and nobody, nobody's able to do that. So to be able to, to reach out and to ask for help and to find support and not to give up um, but to keep reaching out, that's the most important thing to, to build resilience. And one of the things that surprised me the most was when I went to the resilience boot camp of the Army, uh, I kind of expected some tough talk, and it was actually the opposite because even the soldiers now learn to admit their weaknesses to talk about their fears and not to be afraid to ask for help. And that, I think, is the most important thing to do to become more resilient. So resilience is actually a consequence of post-traumatic growth. It's a result of post-traumatic growth. But resilience and post-traumatic growth are not exactly the same things because sometimes it's the least resilient people who grow the most, right. who have the right. most room to grow. So it's a really interesting relationship. You know, it's funny that you're talking about that because yesterday I had a client who um, is going through a divorce, a man, and I could tell, you know, they sold their house and he was trying to get things together and couldn't get his phone together and couldn't get his new internet together and he was all frustrated and, you know, I was trying to be really sensitive, so I said to him, you know, so have you asked for any help? He goes, I don't ask for help. I learned since I was a kid, I don't ask for help. I have, you know, he was a CPA when he was younger. He's retired now. I don't ask for help. That's I do so it common. myself. And, yep. and I said, you know, when you ask for help, you're giving somebody else the opportunity to give to you. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you're giving as a gift to them, that they can yeah. help you. And then you can give back to somebody else. But 
he uh, he didn't buy it. But it was <laughs> so you know, maybe hopefully he'll think about it. But he he was just so frustrated with everything that was going on, and we're trying to finish some things, and he just said, no, I don't ask for help. I said, what can I do to help you? No, you can't help me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, a lot of us were raised this way, and especially older gener- the older generation, you know, that's how they were raised, that asking for help is a weakness, and that if yes. you're strong, you should be able to pull through all, all by yourself. And that's just not realistic. And, and in the case of the soldiers, you know, it can be fatal. So exactly. it's really not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It, I believe it's a, it's a sign of strength to, to reach out and to be honest with yourself and with others about what's really going on with you because that is the only way, in my opinion, to grow and to learn from it is to acknowledge what's happening. And the reason I call it Bouncing Forward, that's actually a quote from Maya Angelou. She, she called her emergence from childhood trauma Bouncing Forward going beyond what the naysayers say. And if you think about it in life, we cannot really bounce back. Life is moving forward. And so it's, yeah, right? And so it's about taking what is happening to us and using it for a greater good, to both in our own lives and to impact the lives of others. Yeah. And, you know, I guess when you're blending your Buddhism, I, I saw one of the chapters you were talking about, um, accepting what is, mm-hmm. you know? Acceptance is really hard. I remember the saying by Buddha that says, uh, all suffering comes from not accepting what is. Mm. And I try to remember that every time I go through a difficult time in my life is I've got to accept it. And, you know, even things like just getting older and, and having, you know, a lot of my friends are getting older. And so we're going, well, this isn't fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this isn't fun that you get these illnesses and, and aches and pains and wrinkles and all these things. And, and I just have to remind myself that uh, I'm going to suffer if I don't accept exactly where I am. Well, we all know the serenity prayer, right? Grounding yes. the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And it's so easy to say and it's so hard to do when things happen to us that we don't want to accept, that we, we want to change and, and that we, want, we would love for them to be different. And uh, one of the things the Buddha said was he talked about the first error, which is the actual thing that happens, the pain that we feel, um, that we go through. And then what we often do is we take a second arrow and we put it in the wound and we journ it and that's all the um, anger and the bitterness and the fear all of that that we put on top of the actual pain the actual event that happened to us and that I think there's um, a lot we can do to work with to work with our own mind to work with other people and um, by now you know there are hundreds probably thousands of studies that show what it is that really helps people through such experiences. So it's not just guesswork, but there's actually, I mean, some, you know, an organization like the Army has such a keen interest to find out how to help soldiers through potentially traumatic experiences or psychologists, you know, who who now have so much understanding, so much deeper understanding of what trauma is and and how we can support people through it. So that's really my interest in in publishing Bouncing Forward and in researching post-traumatic growth because so many people I spoke with 
they thought when this thing happened to them, their life was over and that they would never be happy again. And that's just not true. And I can show that and I can back that up by science that there are so many things we can do and so many methods we can use to work through that. Exactly. There's a video that I saw on Facebook, and I remember sharing it because it was this um, this guy who was born with no arms and no legs, and all the thing. And he's a he's a professional speaker, and he goes around the world. I think he's from Australia, and he shows how all the things he can do instead of all the things he can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, he can he can get out of bed by himself. He can access you know he can exercise. He can get a cup of coffee. He can drink by himself. He can eat by himself. I mean, these were things without any limbs. It was mm-hmm. just so inspir- inspiring. Yeah. So you know, when we think about what we the bad part, I mean, it's changing our thinking and kind of eradicating that negative thinking and saying, okay, I can't do anything about what's happened. What can I do? It's back to that serenity prayer. Exactly. You have in your book three parts. The first part is beyond resilience. The second part is embracing opportunity and adversity. And the third part is making a difference. Um, So I I love those because that's kind of what um, one of my books is called From Victim to Victor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's about helping it's it's me helping other victims of identity theft get through it and and empowered and become a victor over it and and getting their life and and their control over their finances and their whole maybe their employment and everything else that they have to go through yeah and um so that's kind of the same thing is how do you go from being a victim to a victor and and you know, beyond that resilience and going through it. So let's let's talk about um, emerging and embracing the opportunity in adversity. Let's talk about what some of the steps are for that. Can mm-hmm. you do that? Absolutely. So um, exactly what you say, actually, focusing on the things we can do, that's hugely important. And I've heard that verbatim from several of the people I spoke with, like Tessa Billower, who was one of the top 100 surfers in the world before he was paralyzed by a wave. Um, He said, well, I cannot walk anymore. He's paralyzed from the chest down. Um, He said, and I cannot surf anymore how I used to, but I can surf lying down. So for him, it was important to get back into the ocean and to, he can barely, he doesn't have enough strength in his arms to cut a stake, but he learned to balance on his elbows on the surfboard. And not only that, but he made it his life mission to help other handicapped kids and adults to go surfing and skating. So he founded an organization called Life Rolls On, where he helps other people who are handicapped either physically or mentally to go surfing. And that's one thing that I've heard again and again and again. And Jesse says, find somebody who's worse off than you are and go help them. And so many of the people I spoke with found a new meaning in life by helping other people, just like you're describing, who have gone through something similar and sharing what helped them, sharing their experience, sharing what they've learned, or even founding organizations to help others deal with that thing, that adversity, that trauma that they've gone through. And the whole third part of the book, Making a Difference, is really about that, helping ourselves and others. And that's one, I would say, one of the biggest changes 
that come from post-traumatic growth is that maybe for the first time we realize our connection with others. We open up to how others are suffering or what others are experiencing around us. Because so often when we go through life, we just you know, go through life. We don't really pay attention so much to what other people are going through. And when we're at the bottom and when we're suffering, that's an opportunity for us. We could either close down and become bitter or we could open up to other people and reach out and connect with others. And that's, I think, one of the most important steps. But in any case, it starts, as I said earlier, it starts with acknowledging the pain and the wound. And that is actually what trauma literally means. Trauma means wound. So I just want to mention, I want to make it clear that post-traumatic growth is not about glossing over pain or glossing over the suffering. It starts with taking the trauma seriously and uh, acknowledging it honestly and openly. And then there are steps we can take to to move forward. You know, it, it seems to me that when someone goes through whatever it is that they're going through, the the loss of a loved one, um, terrorism, whatever it is, when they go through that and they really grieve and they really experience and they really accept it, and it's hard. They live through that dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. Then once they've done that, then they can move to the light and do something. I know even with my own divorce after, you know, 18 years and two little kids and my parents were married and, you know, until my mother died, you know, they were married 50 years. And so for me, it was very, very traumatic. And, and um, I, that's when I started saying I can't litigate divorce at all. I have mm-hmm. to mediate. I have to help people so they don't go through the pain that, that my children went through, that I went through. Yeah. So I think when we go through that dark night of the soul and we see these things, and then we want to ha- we want to see a change for other people to have it better than than that, you know, yeah. whatever it is. So. Yeah. I, I see so many people when they go through some very dark night of their soul that that becomes their quest mm-hmm. to to make a difference in that area. It's like, oh my gosh, they've got that experience. They've got that insight yeah. that they can make that difference. And yeah. I think it becomes almost like, for me, it was like a spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Like one of the women in, in my book, and Bouncing Forward, Cindy Lamb, you probably are familiar with Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Right. So she lost her daughter to a drunk driving accident. And the only way she could make sense of that senseless tragedy was to go on and, and co-found Mad. And right. so she couldn't save her own daughter. She was able to channel her grief and her sorrow. And Matt has probably prevented hundreds of thousands of deaths on the road by changing the laws and um, by, by lowering the, the legal um, blood alcohol content uh, and so on. So though she couldn't save her daughter, she saved thousands of lives with her activism. Right. And that became her purpose in life. And I think so often things that happen to us make no sense. They're completely senseless. But still, we can still find meaning and find a purpose in working with it. And that's something many, many people have shared with me. Even um, 
Auschwitz, I, I'm um, featuring an old friend of mine, Coco Schumann, who survived Auschwitz, and he made it his life's mission to, um, to, to talk about it after it took him decades before he was able to speak about what he saw. But he said, well, I could spend the rest of my life being devastated about what I experienced, or I could spend the rest of my life being happy that I got out of it in sharing what I've experienced so that it never happens again. And I think that is an attitude that is really inspiring and that we can learn from so much. I learned a lot from speaking to many, 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 um, probably 30 or 40 survivors and learning what kept them going and how they managed not to give up. Right, right. Yes, I've had a couple Holocaust survivors on my show that that wrote books in their 80s, you mm-hmm. know, because it, it they never told their children anything. And then finally, they said, before I die, I have to do this. Yeah, I have to share and I have to let people know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have a couple minutes. I know, you know, you have so many wonderful things in this book and great stories and vignettes about what other people have done, which I think is incredibly inspiring. Um, you have, um, at the end, you have five uh, effective exercises for cultivating courage in the face of adversity. Can you just, um, we have just a couple minutes. Can you just go over them? I know the first one is meditate. Yes. So I've been meditating for more than 20 years, and I just want to say that you don't have to have a particular religion or spiritual belief to meditate. So even the Army has now recognized that meditation, basic mindfulness meditation, is such a helpful tool for staying calm in stressful situations, for healing trauma. So really anybody can learn to breathe mindfully, and that's yes. such a beautiful way to anchor ourselves in times of fear, in times of stress. So meditation is one. Um, appreciation is another one. Gratitude is such a simple thing, and yet we don't do it often enough that we stop to appreciate, to take a moment to appreciate what's good in our life. And uh, especially when suffering strikes, you know, so uh, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by that. So um, it's a really simple exercise every day to take five minutes to write down three things you're grateful for. Then I have um, loving kindness in the book, in the guide, loving kindness for ourselves. And a lot of people find it much easier to practice loving kindness for others. Right. But we often don't practice it for ourselves. And shame and self-blame and guilt are among the most common feelings after trauma. So I included a guide to loving kindness for ourselves and loving kindness for others, which is really important. And the fifth exercise in the guide is to connect, to reach out, to see what we have in common with other people, which I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to seek support uh, when, when we're in trouble and when we don't know where to turn to, to keep reaching out until we find the right person, the right therapist, the right group, our tribe who is able to understand us and to help us. Right. And and also you talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness of ourselves and forgiveness of others is really so important. 
especially if it's some kind of a traumatic thing that that you caused, you know, that you have to forgive yourself or you really can't go forward, right? It is, but as I, it's not easy. And no. I am not glossing over the difficulties. Like Cindy Lamb, it took her 23 years to yes. forgive that drunk driver. Yes. And her story is so moving, how she fought to find that forgiveness. And it took, it took her a long time, and it took a lot, a lot for her to finally sit down with that man and to tell him, I forgive you. So, yes, I do offer concrete steps. Um, and tools that are helpful to find that. But I also don't want to put any pressure on people to think they have to be able to do that immediately because it does take time and it does take support to arrive at that forgiveness. Although I I always say this to myself and, and my clients, if they're unable to forgive, I tell them, you know, if you're unable to forgive, it's like taking a poison that you that you think will kill the other person. <laughs> yeah, you know it really. That's what it is. It's like you take the poison and the other you expect the other person to to be sick from it, but in reality, it just makes us sick. But oh, I, yeah. but this we are out of time. So I just love your beautiful book, Bouncing Forward: Transforming Bad Breaks into Breakthroughs, by uh, Michaela Haas. And Michaela, why don't you give your website, and then it's time for us to go. Thank you so much, Marie. You can find more information at MichaelaHaas.com. That's M I C H A E L A H A A S dot com. You find videos there about the people I've interviewed, more information about post traumatic growth, about my schedule, my workshops, and I'd really appreciate if you stop by and if you check out the book, Bouncing Forward. Thank you so much. Wonderful. We will keep in touch, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Some people die for love, and I believe it's true, cause I do the same for you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.